water every now and then, but uh, it's such a privilege for my family and I to be here today with you all. Uh, it's such a privilege uh, to have the opportunity to consider God's Word with you this morning. Uh, so our scripture reading this morning is going to come out of the book of Romans. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 28 to 39. I'm going to preach on 31 through 39, but uh, since verses 31 and 39 really build, there's momentum coming out of verse 28. So I'm going to read that just so it's kind of fresh in our hearts and minds. Uh, so please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is Romans 8, 28 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we can come to it this morning, uh, being reminded of the sure love we have in you. Uh, we ask, Lord, that as we consider your word this morning, that you would uh, give us hearts and minds that are, are listening, uh, that are able to be present. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the grace that even in the midst of uh, distractions, uh, uh, your words continues to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. In your prayer, Lord. Amen. Let me be seated. Well, this morning, as we study Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 together, uh, we're going to be talking about things that we can be sure of. Uh, growing up, I mentioned during Sunday school, growing up, uh, I always loved classic cars. Uh, the first car that I owned was a 1970 um, Pontiac Le Mans. Uh, the first car that I owned that worked was a 1969 Chevelle. Uh, I had the Chevelle in high school and had it in college and I uh, really loved this car. Uh, painted a, a bright blue with a lot of metal flake in it. It's very shiny, uh, very loud, big 350. So I loved this Chevelle. And, uh, but like any car that old, uh, I spent a lot of my time fixing it. And so I took it to college with me, freshman year, and uh, it got stuck in front of one of the buildings and stayed there for a couple months when I broke off a, a bolt when I was changing out a head gasket. And so my dad came up and fixed that. And then another time, my parents came up and my dad helped me again work on my car. And uh, in the spring of my freshman year at Anderson, uh, my sister was getting married. My sister also went to Anderson College. And so she was getting married on the front lawn and so my parents were in town for the wedding, and 
They were staying at a bed and breakfast, which was right next door to Anderson College. And so while my dad and I, my dad was there, we were going to work on a timing issue uh, that I'd been going on in my car for a while, and uh, I just I didn't know enough to know how to fix it. And so uh, we, we started working on it in the driveway of the bed and breakfast. We didn't ask them, uh, but maybe we should have. We started working on it in the bed and breakfast uh, parking lot. And so while we're out there, the owner of the bed and breakfast, he sees us, and he comes over and he offers to help. And uh, he had a tool, uh, some of y'all know it, it's called a timing light. So you can imagine my dad and I trying to do this without one. Uh, so he had a timing light, it lights up as you fire the engine, kind of helps you evaluate it. Well, it was a very bright day, and so we had pulled the hood kind of halfway down so we could see the light and block the sun. And then earlier in the day, when we were working on it, uh, we had taken the air cleaner off. If you remember the big air cleaner, it sits right on the carburetor. We had taken the air cleaner off. And so right before we were going to crank it, I asked this gentleman, did he want me to put it back on? Uh, before we cranked the car. And he said no. Uh, he was sure that it would be fine. Uh, well, <laughs> my dad turns the key and a fireball comes out of the carburetor, slides up the hood because we'd angled it down, and it just singes the hair off this guy's head. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll never forget his face. He, he pulled his head out from under the hood and he started just kind of brushing his hands over his hair and it's just falling out. And um, and of course, my dad and I are making sure he's okay and you know, asking if he's fine, and he assures us that he's fine. And then he just kind of calmly walks to his garage, and he gets out a hat, and he puts his hat on, and he walks back over, and he says to us, don't tell my wife. <laughs> uh, he said, don't tell my wife. And, and so that's a good example of being sure of something when we shouldn't be. And we've all had similar experiences, not necessarily melting off our hair, uh, but We've all, had, we've all been sure of things that we shouldn't have been. You know, maybe we are sure that we knew what we were doing and it turned out we were wrong. Maybe we are sure that we could never lose our job or that we had plenty of money in the bank for whatever life could throw at us. Uh, maybe we are sure that our marriage would never struggle or that our children would be perfect or that a tragedy could never strike our family or that a pandemic would never rearrange our world. You know, every one of us in here knows what it's like to be sure of something and to find out in the end that we were wrong. And the reality is that has made us all very cynical people. So I want you all to finish this saying for me. Uh, the only two things in life that you can be sure of are death and taxes. Yeah, exactly. The only two things in life that we're sure that we can be sure of are death and taxes. Well, the Apostle Paul was writing to people who knew what it was like to be wrong about the things they were sure of. Uh, he was writing to people who knew what it was like to suffer loss, to suffer persecution, uh, to lose jobs, to, to watch relationships dissolve and not know how to fix them. You know, they, they knew what it was like to lose family members or spouses or parents. They knew what it was like to do the right thing and to come out the loser. Uh, Paul wrote to a congregation who, just like us, live in a world of uncertainty and who need to be reminded that some things really are sure. You know, and the reality is that we're all looking for something sure. Uh, we're looking for something that we can count on because our world is so uncertain. And so this morning, I want to add one more thing uh, to the list of things in your life that you can be sure of. Yes, we can be sure of death and taxes, but you know what? The Bible tells us that we can be sure of the love of God. And so today, today maybe you have questions about God's love. Uh, maybe you're wondering if God is really for you. Maybe you're wondering if your sins have really been forgiven or if he really is able to keep you safe as you go through life um, in this fallen world. Well, in Romans 8... The Apostle Paul answers these questions with a resounding yes. And this morning, what I want to do is we're going to walk through this passage together, 
And I want us to look at four reasons why we can believe that God's love for his people is something that we can count on no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And so the first reason that we can count on God's love is because God is now for us. So we can count on God's love because God is now for us. I'm going to read verse 31 again for us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I want you all to look at me for a second uh, because I want us to hear this. Because some of us have a hard time believing this. If you are in Jesus Christ, God is now for you. Uh, He is on your side. And that sounds like a a small thing. It's a simple thing. Maybe we've heard it a lot. But this is a huge reality and huge truth. And I'm going to read another passage for us. I'm going to read Romans 5, 10, and 11. So give me a second. I'm going to turn there. Romans 5, 10, and 11. It says this, For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So if you heard that, we were enemies of God, but now through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to him. We're no longer his enemies. Uh, We are no longer the objects of his righteous wrath. Uh, Our hearts and our minds and our actions were all set against him. But because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, God is now for you. He is on your side. You know, the God who created the universe, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt and, in, um, and brought them to their own land, this incredible God that we read about all throughout the scriptures, this is the same God who is now for you. No one can stand against us. That's what Paul says. No one can stand against us because God stands with us. And there are times when we're tempted to feel like God is out to get us or that he has set himself against us. Well, Paul tells us that if we are in Jesus Christ, that is never the case. And so the first reason that we can count on God's love is because God is now for us. We are no longer his enemies. We are now his children. The second reason that we can count on God's love is because he's already given us the most precious thing that he could ever give us. He's given us his son. So the second reason we can count on God's love is because God has given us his son. Uh, Verse 32 of Romans 8 uh, is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, if you're allowed to have those. I'm going to read it again for us, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There are times in our lives when our circumstances and our sins, uh, they combine and they lead us to question the goodness of God. Uh, We question whether or not he's going to keep his promises. We question whether or not uh, he can keep us safe in this world. We question whether or not uh, he really loves us. Paul tells us that we don't need to give in to these fears. Uh, God gave us his only beloved son while we were still his enemies. And that means that now that we are his beloved children, we can trust him to give us anything else that we need to live the life that he's called us to. If God didn't withhold his son, why would we ever believe that he would withhold anything else that we need? So the second reason that we can count on God's love is because he's already given us his most precious gift. He's given us his beloved son. The third reason that we can count on God's love is because the accomplished work of Christ on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. So the accomplished work of Christ on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. 
I'm going to read verse 33 again for us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, all of the wrath that should have been directed towards our sins was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And that means that no charge can be leveled against God's people because our punishment has already been paid by Jesus. Uh, there are times when our adversary Satan reminds us of our past sins or tells us that God will never forgive us. Uh, there are times when our own sins accuse us and tell us that God could never love somebody like us. Well, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can say with the hymn writer John Newton, I may my fierce accuser face and tell him that thou hast died. I'm going to read it again. This is from a hymn called Approach My Soul, The Mercy Seat. He says, I may my fierce accuser face and tell him that thou hast died. And, and here's what he means by this. You know, when we're confronted with our own sinfulness, we don't have to try to explain that, yes, we sin, but we also do a lot of good things too. Uh, we don't have to try to excuse our sin in order to explain it away. We can say, you know what? I'm probably worse than what you're accusing me to be, but I'm not judged on what I have done, but on what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so when Paul asks this question in verse 33, when he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's as if he's standing in a courtroom and he's anticipating the charges that are going to be brought against his client. And as each charge is leveled, instead of attempting to make a defense uh, based on what we have or haven't done, he just points straight back to the cross of Christ. He says no charge can be brought against us because we are counted as righteous in Christ. And if God, the creator and the ruler of the entire universe, has declared you righteous, who else is there to fear? That's what Paul asks us, right? Who else is there to fear? Yes, we are guilty of our sins, but by God's grace, he has made a way for us to be made right with him. And he's done this by sacrificing his own son so that we can be forgiven. And he's done all of this because he loves his people. Uh, one of the commentators on this passage, he says that, that God's being for us has its deepest demonstration in his giving his own son for us. You know, God's love for his people can be counted on no matter what our circumstances may be because the finished work of Christ on the cross has satisfied the wrath of God against our sins. And if God is no longer against you, then who else is there to fear, right? If God is for you, who else is there to fear? The fourth reason that we can count on God's love is because of the ongoing work of Jesus Christ as our intercessor. So the fourth reason we can count on God's love is because of the ongoing work of Jesus Christ as our intercessor. I'm going to read Romans 8.34 again. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In this verse, Paul's telling us that Jesus Christ is actually, right now, at the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So we can count on God's love because Jesus is reminding the Father that our sins have been paid for on the cross by him. And Francis Schaeffer explains it this way. He's, uh, when he talks about Jesus' work as our intercessor, he says, As Jesus pleads our case before this holy God, the very holiness of God now works for us. The holiness of God that must condemn us because we have sinned against him now works on our behalf. For Jesus pleads his shed blood, 
And God the Father, because of his holiness and his perfect justice, cannot ask any second payment for our sins. Jesus pleads for us on the basis of the complete forgiveness he has won for us at Calvary. And so here's what this means for us. Every day, every day you and I sin, and every day Jesus stands before his Father and says, I know that they've sinned, but they're mine. They are covered by my blood and they've been forgiven. And so we can count on God's love because not only can the circumstances of life fail to separate us from God's love, but neither can the sins of those who have placed their trust in him. Jesus, our great high priest, stands before the throne and intercedes for us so that we can enter into God's presence with confidence. And so in Romans 8, Paul assures us that since Jesus Christ has satisfied the wrath of God, we can be assured of God's love for us no matter what the situation we find ourselves in. And this means that whether we are facing persecution for our faith or or battling against our own sins or, or grieving the loss of a loved one, it means that we will never find ourselves separated from the sure love of God. And then, almost as if he anticipates our next question, Paul says this in verses 35 and 37. So I'm going to read those again for us. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And and I read that just now in the ESV, but I I really love how the New Living Translation kind of paraphrases this verse. I'm going to read this kind of a paraphrase for you all. It says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. And I really love how they paraphrase this, because that's the question that we're asking. When hard times come, we're saying, God, I know that you said that you loved me, but the way my life is going right now, it seems to mean that you don't. You know, don't these hard things in my life, doesn't this suffering and the sadness, doesn't it mean that you don't really love me? And, and Romans 8, verse 36, is actually a quotation from Psalm 44. And I want to read a little bit of Psalm 44 for y'all. Uh, where Paul quotes it. This is Psalm 44. I'm going to read 20 through 26. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And that's the passage that Paul quotes here in Romans 8. In this psalm, the writer reminds God that they have been obeying him. Uh, They have loved him and they're still suffering at the hands of their enemies, and they want to know where he is. They cry out, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Don't you know what's happening to me? And, and haven't we all cried that in our own hearts at some point in our lives? You know, Paul quotes this passage from Psalm 44, but then, but then he says something that you don't expect in light of what he just said. Paul says no, right? At the beginning of that verse, he says no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And then he goes on to say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And these are the words of a man who has experienced all of those things. That's how he knows. He's experienced all these things. He's been beaten. He's been hungry. He's been shipwrecked. He's been run out of town. He's been abandoned by his friends. He's been put in prison. And yet, he has come through it all, carried by and convinced of the love of God. Um, in the movie A Princess Bride, some of you may have seen this, uh, there is a scene where the man in black is, is sword fighting with a Nego at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity. You can tell it's a comedy. Uh, top, at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity. And as they're fighting, the man in black is winning, and, and they get close to the edge of the cliff, and it looks like defeat is a sure thing for Nego. And, and so the man in black is, has him at this point, and he says, uh, why are you smiling? And Nego says, I admit it that you're better than I am, right? And he says, why are you smiling? And those of you who've seen the movie will remember his response. He says, because I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed. And then he starts fighting. Uh, he starts fighting with his right hand. He starts winning. And then, of course, later in the fight, they repeat the same scene. But this time, the man in black reveals that he's smiling because he's not really left-handed. And he switches the sword, and uh, he easily wins the battle. And it's, it's a funny little scene from a movie. Uh, but the point I want to draw out from it is that these men who were locked in battle were able to face the prospect of defeat with a confident smile because they knew something that their opponent didn't know. Uh, they knew something their opponent didn't know, so they're able to smile even in the face of defeat. Well, when Paul asked these questions in verse 35, uh, when he quotes Psalm 44, you can almost imagine someone asking him, Paul, why are you smiling? What you just said is incredibly sad. And you can hear Paul say, I'm smiling because I know something that the psalmist didn't know. You know, we don't have to cry out and ask God where he is. Uh, Jesus Christ came and suffered to ensure the victory for us, and he is now in heaven interceding for us every day. So God's sure love, God's sure love doesn't mean that we won't, we won't ever face opposition. It doesn't mean that we will never suffer in this fallen world. It means that we can be sure that no matter what we face in this life, God will finish the work that he began in us. And this means that nothing can separate us from God's love. And if you think back, um, I read Romans 28, uh, or Romans 8, 28 through 30 earlier, and I'm going to read it again. Um, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know, as you follow this kind of track of the logic in these verses, this means that if you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, it means that you can trust that God is going to finish the work that he started in you, from being foreknown to predestined to called to justified all the way to glorified. Or as, or as Derek Thomas says, you can trust that God is going to bring you all the way home. Yeah, and there's, a, there's a hymn that I really enjoy called A Debtor to Mercy Alone. And in that hymn, the author says this about how secure we are as Christians in the love of God in spite of all the difficulties of this life. He says, more happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that the Christians who have preceded us into heaven are happier than we are because they are now face-to-face -face with their Savior. 
um, because they no longer have to deal with the difficulties and the sorrows of life in a fallen world. So even though they're happier, they're not any more secure than we are. Uh, We are as safe in our Father's hands right now as we will be in heaven. That's what we hear in Romans 8. We're as safe right now as we will be when we're in heaven. You know, Paul isn't telling us that you and I will, are never going to face opposition. He's not saying we'll never suffer. And in fact, in other passages, he tells us to expect it. Um, he's telling us that because of the work that Jesus Christ has done and is doing, uh, that we can be sure of God's love. We can be sure of the final victory and be sure that God's love, even in the hardest moments of our lives. And so the question for us this morning is, is this. Well, how, how do we respond? How, how do you respond to the good news that God loves his people with a sure love. And first, if you're here today and you recognize that you're still separated from God's love by your sins, the time to repent is now. Uh, If if you're looking for something sure in your life, this is it. Uh, You will never find anything uh, more sure than the love of God. And then secondly, if you're here today and you know that you've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you like I challenge myself Uh, to stop measuring God's love for us by our circumstances in life and to start measuring God's love for us by remembering all that he has given us in Christ. And so when we do that, we can join Paul. Uh, We can join Paul in saying, no, in all these things, uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor job loss, nor health concerns, nor rough day, nor argument with your spouse, not even a pandemic, you know, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can join Paul in saying that because Jesus Christ, our great rescuer and redeemer, has secured God's love for his people for all time. And that love is something that we can be sure of.